0: Welcome to Academics PA. This is Will Hatcher at Augusta University. i joined with one of our co-hosts and the main editing and all over guru of our podcast, Bruce McDonald. Hey Bruce, how's it going?
1: Hey, I'm not sure I ever wanted to be a guru of anything, but I'll take it.
0: You are the guru of Academics PA, the founder I guess that, that's the word I was looking for. It just didn't come to me. It's, uh,
1: hey, I blame you because I'm pretty sure you're the one of, hey, we have mics, we should do a podcast. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that would you.
0: And I always try, I always timestamp these things because I and I, lo- I know you love that, but it's really uh, a struggle this morning because I haven't had uh, you know that much coffee. But uh, we're here and we're doing it. And we're here to talk about our book and we have a guest host, right?
1: That we do. We have with us... Stacey's avatar from the University of Central Florida. So Stacey, thanks for coming and thanks for taking over our role for us today.
2: Hey, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm really glad to have a discussion with y'all today about your new book that's coming out. Um, For those who haven't seen it yet, um, it's called the Public Affairs Faculty Manual, a guide to the effective management of public affairs programs. And if you just quick look through the table of contents, y'all see this is really set to be a path-breaking book. So I'm really excited to talk about it today. So, I actually just want to know if you can kind of walk us through how this book even came to be. Was this, you got together at a conference? Did you see a need in the field? Like, take us back to the beginning of how you guys decided to work on this project.
0: I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of it came about from our work with the uh, Journal of Public Affairs Education. And when we were putting together the proposal to um, become the editors of the journal, uh, some of the discussion in our proposal focused on that um, we really benefited from past articles in the journal that dealt with how you manage public affairs and public administration programs, that there's not a lot out there for new public uh you know, new managers of MPA programs, new directors that um, sometimes are just thrown into the position to turn to. And um, from that came, you know, kind of the more discussions about having this book to be that source. And about the same time that Bruce and I were getting ready to take over the journal, about a year before that, I finished up a survey to small MPA program directors with uh, Victoria Gordon from Western Kentucky University and my colleague here at Augusta University, Wes Mears, looking at a host of issues. But one of the things that kept coming up in, this, in the survey results, the data was a lack of training uh, for people when they became in, um, MPA directors and a lack of resources from the port to. So in many ways, that's kind of the genesis of the book right bruce is there any other things i miss hiding out there than why we uh, came up for this exciting book
1: no i would say that's definitely right i think one of the i don't know if i'd say it's an unusual experience i think it's probably more common than most people like to pretend it is that both you and i had was we were both kind of thrown to the wolves as mpa directors I, I know my transition to an mpa director in south bend was chaotic might be a nice way of putting it I became the MPA director right after a really disastrous site visit in part. You know, we really didn't know what we were doing at the, in the department. We didn't really know a lot about accreditation and we really didn't have a lot of resources. And accreditation happens. It goes terribly wrong. The site visit team then proposed to the dean that I become the new MPA director. I, I don't know why I blame Doug Goodman. Doug, it's totally your fault. Uh But here I was a new MPA director, and there was nothing really to fall back on. And so, you know, as Will kind of alluded to when we started our work with JPEG, we got into this discussion of, well, part of what we wanted to see for the journal was the creation of materials that were actually going to be useful to people. And for me, what would have been useful was something about, okay, you're director, well, now what? And there really wasn't that out there. And so, based off of one of a handful of random idea conversations that Will and I had, we decided, well, why not try and put that together?
0: And to take that a step further, as we at Augusta University here are going into our uh, next accreditation cycle in about 18 months, um, it seems like forever, but it's not. A lot of the resources in this book are really helpful to me, even from the standpoint, I've been MPA director for a couple of years here. We've been through, um, I was um, director when we were doing our last accreditation cycle. NASPA has a lot of good resources on their website, but beyond that, uh, many times MPA directors want to look to others in the field and other sources to get uh, examples of how to deal with accreditation, how to deal with recruiting students how to uh, ensure that your students are meeting the learning outcomes you want them to and 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 we have that all in the book from some leading people in the field so um, so we're hoping it's really useful uh, to people that are in similar situations and I joked earlier about it being uh, exciting it's definitely not the focus that may many times be a, a you know some exciting afternoon or evening reading but it is really useful. And actually, it reads, the chapters read really, really well. I mean, it's really, it's really in a, it's really in, of course, we're biased, but we really think it's a useful and effective book um, that's going to benefit the field.
2: Well, that leads to another question I had just listening to y'all. Like, how did you decide what you wanted really in there and what that book would say to achieve the goals you talked about of, you know, really helping maybe those first-time directors thrown into the position?
1: I think it was really what we wish we had known, or at least my perspective was picking chapters around the things that I kind of wish I had known about everything from, okay, you have to deal with accreditation. What is accreditation? What's the function in basics of what you need to do all the way down to, well, how do you recruit students? Mm. I think that's definitely not something that I had ever really thought about until I had to do it.
0: And I think too, the focus, you know, with our discussions on what, topics should be uh chapters and as we were planning the book especially toward the end i think some of it too uh started pushing to what bruce and i see as maybe the future of the field a focus on you know increasing a focus on culture competency and social equity and also the role in programs even more um even smaller programs today in community outreach and applied research centers and the roles those um shops play in local governance in our communities
2: so why do you guys think it is that when people are kind of put in these positions there's no real training there's no knowledge passed down and then to that end i know you've addressed it a little bit but specifically how do you think your book and some of those chapters that are included like you're saying you know, work specifically to fill those gaps.
0: I think a lot of times um, when you are uh, put in these positions, um, you know, the survey we did and other survey results, you know, most people who find themselves in to be MPA directors are tenured. But a lot of times, um, like the case with um, me and Bruce here, you're not tenured. Uh, you're put in that position because either You've had something uh, happen, like Bruce discussed with the site visit, uh, that didn't work out, or you've had somebody who's retired, or you've had somebody that's moved on to a different position, and it's really ad hoc the uh, training and the kind of institutional memory that's there for new directors. Like in my in in, in my past, I've had uh, really good. Uh, mentors that uh, and the MPA director here in the past at Augusta University before me left a lot of resources and really helped uh, at, during the transition period. But that's not always the case. And I think a lot of it just boils down to people are retiring or they're moving to new positions or they're burned out maybe on administrative work and uh, things just you just don't have a formal transition process. But that's you know that's against what we talk about in the field. That you need a formal transition process. You need contingency plans and things like that. We, I really think the book, you know, is not at the end of the day the uh, contains all the answers. If you're a new MPA director or a continuing director, but it gives a good outline for you to have a re, you know have a place to go to get some answers, but also maybe to use that material to start having discussions uh, at your. Uh, Institutions to maybe have more formalized training when you move in, and uh, maybe uh, look at these things in a more strategic manner.
1: You know, if you think that there's 300 or so ish MPA programs in the states, a lot of them you do have a nice kind of plan of what happens when one MPA director steps down, the new one comes in. But you do have those instances where they things happen. So, you know, picking on my disastrous experience, it's not that the previous MPA director was bad. I was in an MPA program that was in a political science department and we were naturally fairly small, but our old MPA director was a political philosopher. So a great guy is a department chair, but the idea from a political philosophy standpoint and applying it to things like accreditation really just didn't mix too well. You know, I think you have a lot of instances where the directors are whoever is willing or forced to throw themselves on the sword because weird situ- situations arise, not just because we don't really think about it. It's just things come up.
0: I think a lot of things, too, from the book, um, Some of, one of the routes that we see, one of the, the areas that it may benefit folks is that, believe it or not, you do have faculty who have career goals to be in administrative positions. And the, for oh, us absolutely. in public administration, the, that MPA director may be that first step into administrative position. And we're hoping that the topics and the chapters in the book um, can also serve as a, a, you know, an introduction for those folks that their long-term goals may be, they may be a um, junior faculty member who's thinking long-term that I do see myself wanting to move in administration and the MPA director position is usually the first step.
2: And that leads to another question is, how specifically did y'all decide what chapters you wanted was it more of going back to what you said about these are things i wish i knew or did it kind of happen organically you know with the you know people you have writing saying hey i really want to talk about x
1: i think a lot of it was things we wish we had known you know kind of looking back over both of our experiences mpa directors you know we've been in very different programs with very different kinds of challenges and so we had very different experiences but the same point or at the same time, there was a lot of things that kind of overlapped that we both wish we had known about or have been at least some exposure to. And if you think about a PhD program, you spend a lot of time on teaching and research, never anything really about administration, it's a challenge to jump in when you don't really have any background into it, because it's not a normal business or normal governmental like community in which you're operating. So, you know, using that standpoint of what do I wish I had known? So you know, we have definitely the chapter on accreditation, definitely the chapter on recruitment. You know, there's a chapter on you know just budgeting, which you know we think about budgeting from a traditional budgeting perspective, like we'd have in an MPA curriculum. Well, it turns out academic budgeting is a little bit different because you are dealing with non-traditional revenue sources. You have all kinds of constraints that are placed on you on what you can do with the money, what you can't do with the money that you don't normally have in most organizations. So, you know, just how do you deal with that? And I think that's kind of drives what, or I think that drives the types of chapters and the focuses of the chapters that we really went after.
0: And then, and then, um, we took those ideas and, uh, identified authors that we think would be a good fit for each of those ideas. So I know with um, a number of edited books, it may be you have a collection of authors you have in mind and some of those ideas organically come together. And I think there were variations on some of the folk ideas and focuses of the chapters, uh, but a lot of uh, this was guided by just that basic that what would we have wanted to know before we started? Are being MPA directors, and what we think that uh, you know that is really beneficial for public affairs programs going forward in the future.
2: And I know on your podcast you all like to talk a lot about kind of development broadly in the field. So for those you know to to turn the corner a little bit, for those who are thinking, "Gosh, I want to do a book." where should they even begin? How did you go about, you know, taking this topic and really narrowing it? How did you start with writing, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, I'm using my word, but the application, your proposal, there's the word Stacy, um, you know, how do you, how do you even get started if you want to do a book project like this? How long does it take? What do you need to know?
1: I think our approach to this is probably different than what most people would ever do. The book's being published through Rutledge, which Rutledge, Taylor, and France is kind of one nice giant conglomerate. Exactly how the imprints all that work, I've never quite figured out and no one's been able to explain it to me successfully. But we had our production editor for JPEG, and we were talking with her and we are like, hey, we have this idea for a book. And then she put us in touch with the editor, Rutledge, who kind of talked us and walked us through the entire process. Uh, Since this is really the first book for both of us using that as kind of a background experience of you know what comes next or how we would advise or provide guidance to someone else who was going after doing a book you know really you do have the proposal process but perhaps more important than the proposal itself is that initial discussion with the editor different publishers all have different expectations uh, they all have different interest of what they're trying to go after So for instance, this book is on PA education. There's not really any publisher that was publishing anything on PA education at the time. And so our conversation with the editor very quickly turned around from going, well, where does this fit within the context of what they do publish to a conversation of, well, maybe they would like to start publishing more of these types of books. And so they created a series within what they publish that kind of fits around the idea of PA education. You can send anything to a publisher all you want to, but trying to find that fit really works better off by having those discussions with the editor first.
0: Our relationship with Taylor and Francis through uh, being editors of JPE really helped too, because in many ways, you know, this um, this book is like an extended issue um, of a journal, in that you know our work being able to put together issues of the journal um, really helped open. Some doors to the uh, to show that we could put this together and then edit the uh, the series on public affairs or uh, education. But um, Stacy, you've done a number of books. What what's been your process?
2: It's really interesting because I think some of it, you know, parallels what um, you both were talking about of entering, you know, a new space, a space where people haven't really been before. I mean, some, some of your listeners might know I study um, primarily, you know, city branding and marketing, um, and when I started publishing in that a decade ago, I would get the funniest looks y'all could imagine of what do you mean governments do this? We know government, you know, agencies communicate, but the idea of really, you know, shaping the message and putting, you know, branding and marketing around it was very foreign. So I had to do some of the similar processes y'all describe of really step back. What do I want to say? How do I get a publisher to, you know, to believe that this is valuable when, you know, the books that exist are in general public sector communication. Um, so since then it's just been you know, kind of chipping away at, you know, what the disciplinary boundaries are assumed to be. And I think that's what y'all are doing with your book, you know, as well, just this taken for granted, you know, of course, we know how governments communicate. Of course, we know how to run MPA programs. Of course, we know what accreditation is. And then when you really step back and think, well, maybe there's something we could actually learn there. And I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, maybe you all felt this way too. You could talk about it, especially when you're doing edited volumes. Patience. Patience is a virtue um, because everybody's working on different deadlines and I've learned, you know, to always build in some wiggle room. Um, So I don't know how it was for for you all, but, you know, sometimes you're just trying to wrangle, I think, you know, 15, 16 people and it's hard. It's hard work.
1: Yeah. One of the things we did is we sat down and had a plan, I think, for 14 months to get the chapters written. Comments, edits, the finalized everything else, and then get them back to the publisher. But of course, we didn't tell any of the authors that. So, you know, everybody knows that there's a little bit of wiggle room, but I've known people who have struggled for months and months, and in one case, several years to actually get all the chapters submitted. We certainly didn't want that to be the case. So, <laughs> we gave, I think, everybody eight months, which most people got within eight. There was a couple that was a little bit longer, but you know, we had a plan for that and you know, that's okay.
0: It helped too that uh, many of the authors are currently uh, administrative positions. So like yeah. pull so many different ways, but you understand the need for that timeline, <laughs> that deadline.
2: When you first approached some of the authors, what was the reaction you heard? Were people excited to jump on board and said, you know, oh my gosh, thanks for doing this. Or what was the initial reaction?
1: I think everybody was eager. So I'll pick on John Bartle from Omaha, who we sent him the email, and I got an email back a couple hours later. Can we talk on the phone? And I was like, oh God, that's not a good thing. I was like, he's going to say no, or this is a bad idea. And his response was literally, this is fantastic. Here's my idea for the chapter. Can I get you a draft in like three weeks? Uh, I want to order copies for everybody. And I was like, oh. Most people didn't quite have that extent of a response. But I think everybody was going, it's about time somebody wrote, no book on this. I was at a conference last Friday. I'll pick up Mark Bradbury from App State who came up to me and he's like, It's about time somebody wrote it. He's like, I just wish I could have written a chapter for you. And he's like, There's a lot that needs to be said about it. I kind of, you know, would like to have been part of that conversation. And it's not that we were excluding him, it's that there's so many people, as soon as they found out about it, were eager to jump in and say, Well, I want to help. I want to write and contribute.
0: We could always have a second edition down the line.
1: This is true. <laughs>
2: That's actually something I wanted to ask. It's funny you bring that up because I I wanted to know if you guys see this as kind of, maybe this is the wrong word, but in my head, like a living thing that, you know, as standards change or processes change, you know, to do second editions or even have further conversations in the pages of the journal.
0: I, I can see that, especially, you know, there's a the book has an emphasis on public affairs in general, but just giving just given our background um, coming from public administration and uh, being MPA directors, you know, it, it pushes more toward that. But as we can see, the field growing to be broader, and um, NASPA adjusting to that, and programs creating you know separate master of nonprofit management and uh, growth in undergraduate. Uh, Public affairs and nonprofit programs. I can see a whole host of other questions that a future book like this may, uh, in, you know, address. That where it can be something that is updated on a fairly regular basis.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with. that. I think one of the things that's been interesting since we sent all the chapters in last fall is that there's been other chapters. I'm like, oh, this kind of would have been a neat idea. Something that's starting to emerge. So think of things like population change, where we have a shift in the population of the United States and what that means for how we recruit the types of students, the services we provide for them as we start having college students, but also MPA students look and be very different than they have in the decades past. Something like that I think would be or would have been good to have included, but it's something that I don't think I was fully aware of the extent of that. But one of the things I think is nice is that as a outgrowth of the book, Taylor and Francis has allowed us or Rutledge has allowed us to create that public administration education series or public affairs education series, I think is what they're calling it, that we can have books that are uniquely focused on different types of things. So we have one that's in the progress, not written by us, uh, written by some of the people on nonprofit education and how we think and create master's in nonprofits programs, the content, the resources, everything that kind of goes into that. There's one on undergraduate public administration education uh, that's under the works. Uh, myself and Megan Jordan from Old Dominion signed a contract last week for the series for one on teaching, budgeting, and finance. You know Things that don't necessarily fit within the context of just an article, that you know, there's a lot more that goes into it. And so we can still accommodate that as the area kind of moves forward.
2: And if people are listening and they're like, hmm, I have some pedagogy-focused stuff, how do they find out about that series?
1: There is a page on Rutledge's website that has you know, the short description, but after that short description, it basically refers everybody back to Will and I. So if you are interested in writing for the series, you can always send Will and I an email. We're more than happy to talk and kind of walk you through that publishing uh, process of, you know, everything from developing the uh, proposal down to how do you actually implement it? But if you're also looking for the different books that come out of that series, well, right now the only thing that's actually listed there is ours because it's the only one with a firm publication date. Uh, But (laughs) we can include the link to that in the notes of this podcast so that anybody can kind of watch it for the future to find when those other stuff are actually coming out.
0: And follow us on Twitter because uh, we uh, do shameless plugging on Twitter there.
1: <laughs> I'm a little ashamed by how much I plug on Twitter, but that's okay.
0: That's really what Twitter's for a lot of times. It's <laughs> <That's> so awkward. <laughs> that, and getting, enjoyed. <laughs> that and getting my blood pressure uh, up about with the, with the campaign season going on, that's all it's for. <laughs> yeah.
2: And what do you hope the legacy of the book and this new series, like what do you hope it'll be or have you even thought about it, don't care about it?
0: You know, going back to that, you know, the topics uh, and chapters really are born out of what we wanted to know when we started. I hope it really helps uh, people who are new to uh, being directors of public affairs programs because... You know, that, that's a worry in the field that we don't have sh- training and contingency plans, especially from small programs um, who do serve their communities and having an effective director of the program really matters. And it really matters for the students, but it also matters for the uh, areas and regions of our nation that those programs serve. And just you know, just having people benefit from, uh, from the book and being able to say, you know, I really like to use the chapter on accreditation to help with our um, with our accreditation planning. Or, uh, you know, we were working on getting uh, uh, applied research center set up to help our local governments and nonprofits uh, in, the, in our area that need help. And uh, that chapter really helped us with that. Uh, those kind of things, that, that's what that's what I'm looking for
1: i like that as an answer (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i've really thought about it i know when i became mpa director that first year was a nightmare no nightmare is the wrong word it was bad it was we'll say it was bad um in part i this is my second year having (laughs) as an assistant professor I didn't know what the heck was going on. I had never thought about accreditation. I had never been to a NASPA conference. You know, My first experience reading an accreditation report was sitting in front of the dean during our site visit with the site visit team and all the faculty around and everybody kind of going, well, crap, we messed up. And me looking and going, wait, what did we mess up about? It was one of those weird, you know, not very good experiences. And I like the idea of kind of ensuring that doesn't happen to other people And it's not that I don't think assistant professors or new assistant professors should be MPA directors. That's a whole different conversation, but, you know, providing that resource, providing something that helps them when they get into that kind of situation. So they don't have that year like I had where you had to try and figure out everything all at once, everything all on your own, because there really wasn't anywhere else to turn to.
0: That's a good answer too.
1: (laughs) I like the idea of work-life balance and I did not have a work-life balance that year. So if I can help somebody else get there, I'll take it.
2: And do you see the book as, I mean, I know you talked about, you know, it might not be, you know, the most, you know, exciting beach read, but do you see the book as something you'd have to read cover to cover? Can somebody who's struggling with, you know, maybe recruitment turn right to that chapter? Like how do you see the book being used?
1: Each of the chapters is kind of set up as its own self-contained environment. So not everybody is going to face the same issues or the same challenges. So there's a chapter by Hunter Paco from UNCG on running centers and institutions within your program and department like he used to run. You know, a lot of departments don't have that kind of uh, setup. So if you don't have that setup, you wouldn't need that chapter. Some departments and programs have more budgetary control than others. So if you have the budgetary control and you have questions, you can jump to it. So it really does kind of allow you to pick and choose the different things that you're going to need out of it. And you can read all the chapters if you like, but you don't necessarily have to, to get the utility out of the chapters that you're really looking for.
0: I agree. I think, I think that's some of the thinking too. We're applying probably more rationality and logic to our thinking with these topics than, than actually happen. But, uh, with, uh, With some of the topics we pick, just the diversity in our field when it comes to MPA directors, like Bruce mentioned, some have more control over the budget than others. Uh, Some have more control over faculty development and promotion tenure than others. Um, And some have more control over curriculum and instructional design. So um, we do see the book as if you want to know more about assessment, turn to that. The, the chapter that deals with those topics if you want to know more about um applied research centers there there's a there's a chapter for that and you don't necessarily have to be in you know an in-depth reader the
2: whole book is there anything i didn't ask that you all think is important to talk about and tell your listeners about the book
0: i think we covered everything pretty much
2: yeah yeah and where can people buy it
1: amazon rutledge barnes noble
2: <laughs>
0: it will not be in the front of the Bars and Oval store, though. <laughs> but it, may, it will be on the website.
2: <laughs>
1: right. Uh, all that said, you can check out the notes for this episode. There'll be a link to it in there uh, so that you do have some access to finding a copy of it if you so choose, because it does come in paperback, hardback, and ebook, which is weird on its own. I'm going to throw a completely random thing out there. So something you didn't ask about, but was the, probably the, at least for me, the most challenging and frustrating part of the entire book, picking a cover.
2: <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah.
1: Literally will. And I spent days looking through photos on Getty images, trying to go, well, what picture reflects directing an MPA program?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was, the, and that's some of our similar, uh, same experience we had with JPEG. is that, um, redesigning the cover uh you know we had help with that but we did spend a lot of time mm-hmm. with JPEG looking through uh different different mm-hmm. mock up covers and, and thinking like we never thought we'd be doing this no <laughs>
2: i mean i think you've just given yourselves an idea if you do sort of like your editor introductions or maybe do one in in the journal about you know gosh all those sort of hidden things about books and putting together you know um, a proposal and then what happens after that and page proofs and how long this actually does take and picking covers like those sort of hidden things that would be that'd be fun I think for your readers and listeners to hear more about
0: and there's a lot of things that that the cover though was the, like I agree Bruce that was the thing that I never thought we would have to spend as much time on yeah, but I, I like the cover, the 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 end product. Uh, you know, like I said about other things. Of course, we're biased, but the end product, I like it.
1: <laughs> I, I was pushing for the picture of just a really messy desk, but <laughs> <laughs> but
0: the uh, yeah the and and if I'm if I remember correctly though, Bruce, you can pre-order too now from the website, right, for the book. Yeah, yeah, pre-order little pre-order plug there on the um, podcast.
1: <laughs> of course, I'm scheduling the release of this episode right after the book comes out, so ah, you don't need to pre-order then you can actually Get it that. Order live.
2: <laughs> that means people have to bring it, you know, to Aspen and Aspen and have y'all sign it, oh,
1: right? Oh god. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Has anybody ever done that to you, Stacy?
2: No. <laughs> Maybe it'll happen now that we put it in the universe. Like, uh-huh.
1: I will admit, after we recorded with uh, Cam Stivers, I mailed her a copy of uh and Settlement Women and had her sign it for me.
2: I thought I could retire when Cam like called me by my first name. I was like, I made it. That's it. Right? Yeah. Like no, no
1: more. You have tenure. You can stop.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you can, you know, like, just... Just retire, like, yeah. <laughs> like like some people. Like my like God, like, tell my me. Dad,
2: had on, all these people you've had on. I'm like, well, they know me, so I'm done. Like I've made it. That's
1: it. Well, everybody knows Stacy. I mean, that's that's a given, right?
2: Oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Stacy, for doing this for us. Thanks for having me. Let me know when it. out. Oh, good luck with the book. Thanks.